Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Return of the Jedi. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the next chapter in the Star Wars saga, Revenge of the Jedi. The battle between good and evil rages on. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, C-3PO and R2-D2, and Darth Vader. Alien worlds. It's a trap. A rebellion against oppression. An epic of heroes and villains. An adventure as vast as the universe. Revenge of the Jedi. Coming May 25th to a theater in your galaxy. Welcome to the ultimate edition of our Return of the Jedi show. You know the drill by now, it's one part original 2010 podcast and one part 2015 Blu-ray commentary, woven together along with the triumphant score of John Williams. Our guests are Neil Taylor of The Kid Dog, voice actor Alex Eading, James Batchelor of Bond and Beyond, and Chris Brown of The Married Gamers. So let's travel back one more time to a galaxy far, far away. shares the same spurious accolade with Revenge of the Sith by virtue of being the most divisive two Star Wars films. Most people love A New Hope and Empire, share a dislike of Phantom and Clones, but the lines blur at the third films of the two trilogies. Some believe Sith saves the prequels and others believe Jedi killed the originals. I, I love this opening scene because it is straight a callback to the first film. Yes, I agree. The Star Destroyer going over and... The Lambda Shuttle is a beautiful, beautiful piece of tech as well. Oh yes, I... I it's funny how almost every single ship in these films is iconic. In these first three films, every single one of them is iconic. 
you've got the X-Wing, the TIE Fighter, mm. the Shuttle, the Star Destroyer, the Super Star Destroyer, yeah. Slave One. I played some multiplayer Battlefront uh, this morning and managed to stumble across a downed X-Wing in the middle of this map. There's firefighting happening everywhere, and I had to pause and and just mourn for that ship for a moment because it it looked so amazing, but it was torn apart and crashed. You can see here the Death Star orbiting the forest moon of Endor. Am I also the only one that has a problem with it being called a moon? Because it's bloody massive for a moon. Also, if it's a moon, what's it orbiting? We never see any planet bigger than it. So, yeah, watch out for that, folks. Anyway, this is a fantastic speech, that whole, I hope so, Commander, for your sake. It's I mean, uh, James L. Jones's performance in, in this film. I mean, basically, this is Vader's movie. I watched this uh, again yesterday just to sort of bone up, and um, I was like, I love Jedi. This film's kind of silly. I mean, the first it's film... It's much like, more lighthearted than, yeah. than, than Empire, which but, I don't think is a bad thing. I was a little worried we wouldn't have much to talk about because the first film we got all this incredible innovation, this incredible um, uh, like influence that uh, it has, and just these all these iconic moments stacked on top of each other. Empire Strikes Back has it like it makes it even better, but Jedi it's kind of a slip backwards. And this is from someone who loves Jedi. It's just like in terms of what I can talk about, I can enjoy it, but there's less to really talk about just in terms of like the craft of it, if you know what I'm saying. Well, I think mm. some of the, the fun craft that we're seeing right now is uh, is the difference between the Imperial uh, scene that we just left and mm. this, you know, this droid scene where everything was pristine and perfect because Vader is coming aboard the Death Star. Uh, I don't think his armor or any of the stormtroopers around him have been shinier. <laughs> uh, no, actually, he's sl- he himself is slightly shinier in Empire. Is he real? I did a shininess test with a shinometer. And he buried the needle in Empire. Buried the needle. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the shine his helmet did. You know, uh, one thing I'm going to talk about, because I'll, I'll mention this, the, the design of Darth Vader is... This character is black. He is gloss black and looks perfect in almost every shot. Mm. Do you reckon there was someone's job was literally to polish Vader? Yes. Yes, I do. Vader polishing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Polish Run his on helmet. screen, polish his helmet, disappear again. They were called the Fluffer. Hey, Jabba! And there he is. I, I love that puppet. It's it's wonderfully well designed. Yeah, it's got an incredible presence to it, and uh, I, I've always loved the whole, all of the Jabba shenanigans stuff. It's it's kind of like it's a slower gathering start than any other real scenario we've ever seen in Star Wars. We've always had that sense of urgency from the word go. Uh, in Star Wars, even you know when you were just hanging out with Luke in the original, and he was like, "Oh, it's so boring being at Moisture Farm." You were, were aware that there was something really gathering, and so there was a sense of sort of like back and forth and galactic war. With this, they kind of—it's the first time Star Wars really slows down, and the stealthiness of all of this, and the, the, all of Luke's plan coming together. Hannibal Smith style. Though actually, in terms of plan, both Luke Skywalker and the Emperor in this have the ability to plan for literally every eventuality. Now, the Emperor claims, I have foreseen it. But it would appear Luke's got that shit down as well. He foresaw literally everything Jabba did. There isn't a single moment of, didn't expect that. Except possibly when he finds himself in the Rancor pit. He's he's, uh, a little bit blindsided there. But he soon kills it with a rock. 
Writers take note. Uh, characters who plan for literally everything and are never challenged or surprised by anything, uh, including Batman, weak-ass characters, difficult to relate to. Luke's a lot better when he's not sure. I have to state for the record here and now that if Jabba hadn't been awesome, the whole Jabba's palace scenario and thus the first third of Return of the Jedi would have been a washout. Jabba is a masterpiece of collaborative model work and puppeteering. For every slump of the shoulders of the wizened, aged and wise Yoda, we get a trembling chin from this sweating mound of blubber, this malodorous wail of a gangster wallowing in his opium den of self-gratification and vice. It's such a strong character that none of the CGI versions have ever managed to match up. He looks immobile and clearly weighs two tons, his shifty orange eyes gleaming as he ponders his two favourite subjects, mass murder and big pies. You totally buy the idea of his entourage of terrified and equally untrustworthy lackeys and sycophants. He is the giant olive in the centre of the galaxy's crime pizza, and when it comes time for him to die, he doesn't fall to his death or get killed instantly because of an oversight. Leia has to literally throttle this grotesque slug to death with her chain of captivity. It takes an age for his death throes to play out, and it's obvious he's in panicked, agonising pain. But, as Star Wars deaths go, being choked by Princess Leia in the gold bikini, it ranks as one of the best. He expected everybody else to sort of jump to his aid, and everyone's like, oh, sod this, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. This is the first time in all the movies that I really enjoyed the Tatooine sequence. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, you know, in A New Hope, I didn't enjoy it as much as this first leg of the last film. Mm -hmm. I thought uh, it was fitting, you know, we see that whole completion uh, where where Luke started in Tatooine, you know, mm-hmm. you know you're going to die here, kid. How, you know, that whole thing. Convenient. Yeah. So when we see him, the first thing we see him do is the Jedi mind trick. Place yourself, okay? Empire came out, and then there's like a two, three-year lull for you before Return of the Jedi comes out. In that time, you know, we didn't have internet. You know, fan fiction was written on, you know, on paper or typewriter paper. Mm-hmm. And the only connection we had to the Star Wars universe was through the comic books. At the Every once in a while, we, we would get a, a, a serial paperback. Mm-hmm. And so our imaginations filled the gap. I remember playing with, you know, on, on my action figures and acting it out and thinking who could be the other Jedi and... You know, um, oh yeah, because Yoda said there is another, and obviously for me, I'd already seen like Jedi before I saw Empire. I seem to remember, so I knew exactly who it was. But I can't imagine three years not not knowing who the other one was. It's so obvious if you think about it. So, what, who did you think it might um, be? So, because the majority of the opinion at the time was, in, you know, if you didn't have knowledge, you know, of that, you know, of twins and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. the popular knowledge was that it was going to be Han. Whoa. That would have been cool. You know, in, in that sense, you know, in that gap of not having that immediacy of, you know, finding other people who shared your love for, for Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, you, you filled that in with imagination. And so here we are, you know, three years later, and we're wondering where Luke is on the journey. You know, by the at the end of Empire, you know, he had doubts in mm-hmm. his own abilities. He found out that, that the the uh, uh, most powerful guy short of the emperor in the in the universe is his father and uh he doesn't even have his lifesaver and so the first time we see him on screen he does the motherfucking mind trick and you're <laughs> like fuck yeah you know luke is now fulfilling his destiny mm. and he's got such poise at that point you just think exactly. so much has happened in that past year that's, that's basically allowed him to collect his thoughts into this sense of focus which he, he didn't have before by any means and yet, you still wonder where his his 
uh, loyalties lie, or you still wonder where he is on the path, because mm. he's not dressed in these, you know, the swath robes of, of that we saw uh, Ben in, or even Yoda for that matter. Mm. He's dressed in black. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, like, you know, he he dabbles with the um, the dark side. Empire is all about him um, striking the balance between light and dark, whether or not he'll fall. I think, and, and if you read um, Shadows of the Empire, he does come very close to um, being seduced by the dark side, and he's very aware of it. Mm. And the first thing we'd see him doing this is not the Jedi mind trick. If you, I mean, if you exclude the hologrammatic um, message via R2. Oh, it's the false choke. It's I, the false I said choke. this morning, it's like, that's a bit aggressive. That exactly. Yeah. And, that's, and that goes against Yoda's, you know, uh, Jedi only uses... For knowledge his, uh, and defense, yeah. Knowledge and defense, exactly. So he he's quite... And, and he's dressed like a proper Sith character. Mm. I mean, you know, none of the Jedi, obviously, in the, you know, the prequels and, and that we've seen in the original trilogy, wear black or cloaks or hoods or whatever. He's a biscuit uh, away from Darth Maul at this point. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting. You know, it's quite interesting to think, ooh, well, you know, this this clearly isn't the same Luke that we that we left. I, I haven't even thought about it in terms of wrong-footing people and making them wonder what's going to happen because it's it's so ingrained in my mind now. I can't watch it and think what's going on here. I, I, it's just like you know, going back and visiting uh, your old home. It's uh, and, and finding it exactly the way it was originally, and it's it's comforting. And I can't put myself in the mindset of it being new and different. <laughs> reasons that Jedi has always been my favorite is Jedi was the first one I saw yeah and I watched it over and over and over again and one of the things that I loved the most about watching this movie was kind of mentally backfilling the story and having to work out how they would got to where they are yeah um, from the little hints and snippets that come through in the script which was um, quite an interesting way to uh absorb the Star Wars universe making it up as you go along there's uh, because of all of the like everyone's playing a role in this Ocean's Eleven style uh, heist to get Han out there's a lot less actual interaction between the characters you know, as well mm. so like there, there's a lot less Han, Luke and Leia stuff than, than uh, there, there is in uh, Empire mm. as a result it, this does feel more crammed yeah. than the previous two chapters and I think Part of it is I, I have heard it said that when you're making a trilogy of films, two is the difficult one because you've already started and you've got to work towards an end point, but ultimately it can end up quite meandering. Mm. However, I think although I'm at the moment still kind of thinking Jedi is my favourite, I may change my mind by the end of this um, but I still do think Empire is the stronger film because it almost seems like all of those craft things that we talked about, that they started off in the first one, really got an opportunity to develop in the second, mm. some of that kind of has to have been thrown out of the window for this so that they can concentrate on getting everything rounded up. It's a lot of spectacle as well, a lot of sort of like, right, here we are and, and 
there's a lot of kind of goofy humor as well. Mm. Like torturing torture. a droid? What's the point? <laughs> this is like, this torture chamber is only for torturing droids. It's definitely for torturing droids, thinking about it, because if they just wanted to dismantle them, they'd turn them off first. Yeah, they yeah. just do that. No, no, no! This is the most females you will see on screen in any Star Wars film from the original trilogy. Oh. And I hate it. Yeah. yeah. You can get jobs as dancing awful. girls if you want. Girls? Ladies? This is the role that the Star Wars women have in 18 the titties. Entertainers. Yeah. Sod off. Yeah. Even Leia is reduced to an entertainer by the end of yep. this scene. Although, I mean, I, I still like the scene, but it's goofier than the original version with Leptinac, which seemed kind of cold, the way, like, Jabba tosses her down there. All of this stuff in the Rancor pit is new for 97. The uh, actress actually came back, dressed up as Ulu again, just for that, which is lovely. That's dedication. But at the same time, it, it, uh, like, it was better when she just disappears down there, and you're like, oh my god, what's down there? But I suppose if you've seen it more than once, you know what's down there, so I suppose they may as well just sort of pitch the Rancor again. But it, it, it's less threatening in the uh, the newer versions. It is really quite... Um, Girl in a disco wig back there. ...disturbing in the, the original version that he just disposes of her so casually. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, 97 Special Edition, while Jabba's speaking, they added subtitles, thus rendering 3PO's translations unimportant. They got rid of them again later when they realised their error. Same as uh, Luke's scream when he falls down the Luke's Palpatine scream when he falls down the shaft in Empire. This this is also kind of a, a racist depiction of a, uh, a Chinese or Arabian uh, what sort of combination um, opium den from uh, like 1930s serials. Um, and they they kind of evoked it in the beginning of the third um, parts of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> Fortunately, Jabba has the presence to pull it off in here. He's a giant nutsack. (laughs) He's super gross. Like, he seems so much more gross now that we're on Blu-ray. I was going to say, I think it's the high definition. You can see all the little knots and whirls. Mm. Yep. And the drool. And it's great. It's well done. There's like six guys inside Jabba, isn't there? Must have stank. Okay, and here is somebody who looks and talks very much like uh, a character in the first two films called Han Solo. And, uh, they did played... a really good job at casting this new one. Yeah, they, they, they gave him to the same actor, and they gave him the same name, and uh, you'd almost believe, if you weren't paying attention, that it's, it is actually Han Solo, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget the famous story that Harrison Ford lobbied to have Han Solo killed yeah. in this film. And as we, as we said in the podcast... In this film, in the future films, and everything he can get a hold of, it sounded like... Just kill me. Just put him <laughs> I down. I don't want to do this anymore. Just kill me. Yeah, I don't think he stated he meant his character, not himself, given that he had <laughs> got a door fall on him, and then his plane crashed. Yeah. 
Is it not possible that being frozen in carbonite had a, a fundamental effect on his personality? This maybe he saw totally the light possible. at the end of the tunnel and realized maybe. it was coming from. Might have been worth a discussion. Might have been worth a, a conversation. By the way, Leia has never looked hotter than just there, like pulling off the uh, the the, uh, the the bounty hunter helmet and going, "Someone who loves you." For me, like as a kid, I was Scores like, "Yeah." Of teenage boys may disagree with that sentiment. Well, yeah, obviously, because they're teenage boys. But that that bit. Like, she's wearing a disgusting, unsexy costume, and she's gone through all of this for him, so it's it's kind of like, wow, she's really tough. Do you want the chick in the gold bikini on the end of the rope, or do you want the woman who travelled across the galaxy with a fake thermal detonator to rescue you? But did you know? One of the complaints about the Return of the Jedi figures, and there's a, I saw a really absolutely correct video on YouTube where they just did like a little count-up of all the figures with blasters in the first two Star Wars films, and then all the figures with sticks in the third film. <laughs> the amount of sticks jumps up, and Malikili was one of them. He got a stick to poke things with. His high exaltedness, the great Jabba the Hutt, has decreed that you are to be terminated... Immediately. Good, I hate long waits. <laughs> you will therefore be taken to the Dune Sea and cast into the pit of Karkoon, a nesting place of the all-powerful Sarlacc. Doesn't sound so bad. In his belly you will find a new definition of pain and suffering as you are slowly digested over a thousand years. <laughs> Second thought, let's pass on that, huh? You should have bargained, Jabba. This is the last mistake you'll ever make. This section is simply called Boba Gets Punked. Um, Once again, we get to see Boba acting cool in this one. In Jabba's palace, when surrounded by weird aliens, he's the only one who keeps his cool. So by default, he seems to be a guy on top of things. Unfortunately for his many fans, this is the first instance in Star Wars of an established cool character meeting an ignoble and undignified end, but also possibly the worst. Maul got sliced in two after a furious battle. Django got beheaded because he bit off more than he could chew. Grievous had his weak spot shot repeatedly for massive damage. Mace took his eye off the clearly insane young man. Anakin got dismembered because Obi-Wan had the high ground. But Boba was doing pretty well at first. This was what we've been waiting for. Experienced Jedi versus the toughest bounty hunter in the galaxy. So it goes like this. Boba jets in, using that awesome pack we'd so desperately hoped to see, and gets his gun cut in half. No probs for the Fet Man, because he's got all sorts of shit in that armour. He busts out a zipline and snares Skywalker's arms to his sides, rendering the saber useless. The line gets cut, and it all goes pear-shaped. The boat rocks, Boba falls over like Jar Jar Binks, and Skywalker gets bored, so he jumps to another skiff. Then, when Boba stands up to coldly cap Luke in the back of the head like the bastard we know him to be, Han accidentally knocks that cool jetpack, sending him hurtling through the sky, arms flailing like windmills, and a girlish squeal of dismay bursting forth from his clone lips. He pancakes into the side of Jabba's sail barge, and then rolls down a sandy hill straight into the mouth of the greedy Sarlacc. No hidden weapons, improvisation, or cold, steely resolve. He's a panicking numbskull at this point. And to all you EU fans out there with your aha, but he didn't die rationale because you've read Dark Empire, consider this. If he let this happen to him and went out in such a shameful, clumsy manner, worse than any one stormtrooper you can name, maybe he actually just deserved to die. Uh-huh. Hello. Meant to do it. 
it, it, it doesn't do anything. It just rolls and goes, oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, this is what I was always confused about. I know we talked about it last week and I'll briefly mention again. He doesn't do anything. He stands there, says something, and that's it. That's what he does in this movie. He stands there. You know why he didn't freak out when she pulls out the thermal detonator? He couldn't see it. <laughs> Or he was asleep. That's no, no, why you can't he, see his face. He's asleep. He, no, no. He's the only one who doesn't freak out. He points his gun, and I, and I will give it. Everyone else around him is going, Oh, no! We'll send my gun We're all going to die! Yeah, but uh, what does he do? He stands with a gun. He holds the gun. We've established that that's all he can do. That's the range of his stance. He can stand and hold a gun. And he happens well, he, to hold it in the right direction. Can you guys come up with a better ending for Boba Fett? Getting decapitated by Luke. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he just lands and loops. No, I'd, I'd rather have seen like Han's, you know, eyesight return, and then have a bit of a gunfight, and Han like yes. you know put a bullet straight through the middle of that armor. Oh man, like a like, shootout, like a western shootout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, or yeah, automatically right there, way better, because at least that would just be like, at least he got killed by Han that way. Exactly. Or like, like maybe like Han could have fallen to the ground and like seen a dark shape looming over him and just grabbed the nearest blaster and fired and could yeah. have basically plugged Boba and be- but because Boba made an oversight I mean that would not be a punking that would be okay right Han got him at that point so yeah much better I, t- I wouldn't have even minded it if it had just been so fast uh, that he'd basically broken his neck on the side of the ship and then that had just been his corpse dropping down to the Sarlacc but he goes <laughs> the Sarlacc deaths were all pathetic because you're basically falling into a hole in the ground. I mean, like, you know, if we go by the original 1977, uh, sorry, 1983. 83, thank you. If we're going by the original 1983 version where it's just a hole in the ground, there's no tentacles, there's no digitally, you know, moving beak, they're just falling into a hole in the ground. All of them just, rather than, if, if you land on the desert, alright, you're going to have a little bit of momentum, you're going to roll a bit, but you'd stop after like two or three rolls, and then you'd start to climb up. Or you could even stand and walk up at that, because it wasn't <laughs> even a steep hill. But no, they all just roll down. You know like when you were a kid, and yeah, you'd come to a big grassy hill, rolls. and you'd roll down as fast as you could? That's exactly what they're doing. Yay! Oh, shit. And it's this magical blend. I mean, I love the the the, the orchestration to that whole scene. You know, it starts yeah. with that... Bum, 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 bum. bum. You know, watching in the theater, you 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 start leaning forward a little bit. You're going, oh, it's going on, <laughs> and 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 then it just happens. And you know, again, you know, for for someone seeing this, you know, after the weight of Empire, and just absorbing, like, yeah, finally, you know, here we go. really lash out as as a Jedi and we'll hmm. see how his reaction and we get to see his lightsaber for the first time and and oh wait it's green you know that's awesome and all of a sudden everyone wanted to toss out their old uh, blue plastic lightsabers and go out and buy a green plastic lightsaber you know, uh. to beat, beat their their siblings heads with this whole feeling of uh, of continuity moving forward and here you are at, at the threshold of watching it unfold 
and uh oh it's just it was an awesome feeling you know back in in 83 seeing it in a in a in in the theater seats and you're just going wow you know and then you're back out in line to watch it again <laughs> i then you're reenacting it on playgrounds i really wish i could have actually seen the star wars in the, the original trilogy at the right age in the cinema that would have been so awesome seriously this film shows the first signs of what the prequels would end up being. It's got lots more Muppets. It's got screenfuls of things going on in the background. It's got silly Ewoks in it for the kids. It's got burp humor. And it's dividing the last act into three sections. Having said that, it's still scripted by Lawrence Kasdan with better delivery and more emotional punch than A New Hope. It's well acted by Hamill, James L. Jones and newcomer Ian McDermott. And while it's suspected that director Richard Marquand, now sadly departed, had George over his shoulder the entire time, what influence he was able to exert has benefited the movie over time. By far the most flawed of the original trilogy for what it was attempting to deliver, the Skywalker denouement means that I understand why this is my wife's favourite. It feels like there's, there's no tension in this film given that given everything that's at stake i mean you know this is the grand finale they've got to you know retrieve han from about you know dangerous bounty hunter uh, sorry, uh crime lord you know this is there's a second death star for god's sakes and I, I remember reading the opening crawl and it says you know it's constructed another death star and i remember sitting there thinking oh shit and yet there's no tension there's no tension that was in Empire Empire was such a, a tense film and you were on the edge of your seat and here it's like you know what we don't care we're just, it's, it's one of those done in an afternoon sort of films the trouble is there and this is perhaps a criticism I should have levelled at Empire last week and I didn't really was one of the reasons you had so much of the tension the chase movie cracking off with that is the fact that the Millennium Falcon's hyperdrive's bollocks mm. And it's repeated over and over and over again, mm. which is a bit of a shame. I can understand why you're saying there's no tension there. I think the final, at the end of the movie, there's more tension in the Vader Empire Emperor right. mm. uh, Luke part. But they start. And, yeah, I get that. In Empire, it's all about where we're going, uh, our paths, and stuff like this. And in return, in return, is about who we are. And, the, and yeah. you know, it, so Definitely. it's not as like doesn't isn't as tension filled even though you know major events happen it's more inwardly uh, looking though it's it's, it's a lot more sort of right. contemplative i think that's the why, reason my wife likes it the best it's possibly the most psychological of all of them right. and there is a clear and it does have a clear resolution for a lot of the characters unfortunately one of the those resolutions is hands a little bit neutered mm, more on that yeah okay. you know about that though i i watching this last night it really made me appreciate this you know think about it you're in carbonite for so many years a year you're so you're out of commission you've already seen luke and leia kiss you know but you're this rogue you're the smuggler you know you're 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 supposed to be too too uh uh good for school you know you're supposed to you're, you're supposed to be the you know the people everyone thinks that you have it together mm. but internally you don't oh and, plus you've also uh, your your reliability on on what you have been able to do in the past doesn't talk to your you know go and rely on your friends right. it did so it didn't pay off when it came to lando exactly you, your life has and failed you at that point and even and chewbacca could little, save you yeah and you're a little bit older than than you know hotshot uh luke skywalker and i really am watching this last night i really appreciate the the whole sexual politics the you know han solo's uh doubts of, of his own virility really comes across where you know, he puts him, 
he he fully is committed to to Leia, but he doesn't know you know what's happened in the time he's been gone. He's unsure of himself, and I think that 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 troubles him at the same time um, as trying to um, find that uh, happiness he had with with the princess, mm. you know. And I, I really, you know, maybe it's because I'm an older person now, you know, I'm nearing 40 and I'm starting to see those things. You know, it's like, I, I really appreciated it that, you know, uh, talking about, you know, Campbell's, you know, the heroic masks and, you know, here in this, in the, in this final, uh, installment, it's all about knowing your own identity. Here we have Han Solo who, uh, we know he's not the rogue at heart. He's the hero. And, and not, and he wants to find love and, you know, he wants, you know, to bar, to borrow that phrase from the song, he wants to know what love is, you know, and he wants to have it with Leia. And it, you know, I really thought it was a, an interesting dynamic to his character, you know, like, likable or not, you know. Uh, so yeah, I really identified with it this time around. No, that actually makes sense, because like you said, he's in Carbonite, so he's not going to be with it for quite a while anyway. He doesn't know what's going on, and the people he, or, or person he thought he could trust, he couldn't, so it's knocked him. The trouble is, if that had been perhaps a bit more clear in the movie, I think we'd all gone, ah, he's not been new to it. It's like, oh... Just one scene of Han it. talking to them about how his whole world had been thrown out of goose, and now and he, he now didn't know quite how to behave. you make look I so old to your eyes no of course not <clears throat> I do <clears throat> yes I do sick have I become old and weak When 900 years old you reach, look as good you are not. Hmm? <laughs> Apparently the reason Luke went back to Yoda was that George talked to child psychologists who all stated that kids would have trouble really believing that Vader was actually Luke's father. He had to be told by somebody they trusted. I suppose that makes sense. My you know, God, from I a certain point of view. <laughs> you, you disagree with that, James? Yeah, I, I bought it first time when he said, I am your father. It's like, wow. And I, I there was such an... You didn't have to wait for three years. I suppose you, to, you did have to wait for a year, but you knew there was a resolution. Originally, yeah. in 1980, kids didn't even know there was a resolution. They spent three years going, no, no, that Darth Vader's a liar. Master Yoda, you can't die. Strong am I with the Force, but not that strong. Twilight is upon me, and soon... Night must fall. That is the way of things. The way of the Force. As we were saying today, we were watching him uh, in uh, with the sound off, and just even with no audio at all, this this puppet is massively expressive. Between the puppet and Frank Oz, his performance is wonderful mm. and iconic because everyone remembers him, and no one thinks of him as a joke either. And that's that's an important thing. This character could have come off mm. as a joke because it's literally a little green man. Yeah, and especially because he tr- he is is funny and odd and eccentric, and especially in the first one, oh, sorry, the second one. 
I love this speech. This is one of my favourite parts of the whole trilogy. The fundamental acceptance of death as a natural part of life Mm. is... Yeah. Uh, twinned with the uh, light side of the force. Mm. And the subtle hint to Luke that, you know, pay attention, this is the natural way of things, you have to let them go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the opposite being the Sith's terrible, terrible fear of death. Mm. And their desperation to escape it at all costs, even if it means letting everybody else die. Mm. Well, I mean, the Sith, are the, they're the Rockefeller of of the universe. They're the ones who, you know, how much power is enough? A little yeah. bit more. <laughs> Always a little bit more. A little bit more time. A little bit more strength. Just yeah. a little more. Although, uh, you never hear it referred to as the light side of the Force at any point. I'm not even sure, even in the prequels. Yeah. It's always called... The Force or the Dark Side. The Force or the Dark Side, or occasionally Luke refers to it as the Good Side, which is a bit leading. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I think the uh, the Dark Side's pretty good to the Sith. From a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. Yes, but from another point of view, Ben, you lied. Completely and utterly barefaced lied. <laughs> well, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Well, then you are lost! Again, though, uh, Hamill has um, uh, stepped up his game between uh, Empire and Jedi, so he gives his best, best performance in this one. He's wrestling with the most. He's pulling everything inside. I, I said this about um, the, the way they've cast the uh, the Star Wars trilogy, though. It's a strength that you also see in the Harry Potter movies, mm-hmm. and it's a strength that you see in um, Lord of the Rings and uh, various other um, sort of long-running series. They cast incredibly high-quality, theatrically trained, um, you know, just really impressive actors, um, oh, and the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Um, and then they pair them up with these newbies that haven't really done much before, and they basically get to learn their craft in the course of, of what they do. And by the end of it, they're amazing because of all the people that they've learned from. Right. See, basically the idea of um, film series going on, is it's not usually, like, it, it wasn't, a thing back in the day it wasn't a thing like back in the 80s and 90s it was all about trilogies and then they'd stop um but these days the film series just go on and on and especially with harry potter they just get better and better at what they're doing and the more focused that they are um that's not necessarily to say that the the marvel films will literally be on a sliding scale up to better and better each time but they but, have the potential to yeah. do that because we've seen i mean we've seen it happened. We've seen it happen. And if they can if they can stay true to their their worlds that they're in, if they can stay true to uh keeping certain actors happy, mm. uh they can end up in a beautiful place. And true this will be of Star Wars, because Star Wars is gonna go on and on and up and out. And there's going to be like recurring characters and recurring performances that we become really attached to and and they will evolve over the years and that's something I'm really looking forward to see this is an example of that thing of having an actor have to portray several emotions at once he's got Mm. grief, amazement and they're fighting on his face yeah I'm kind of uh, astonished that Mark Hamill didn't have more of a career in front of the camera I think it was because it's a sci-fi and they just they didn't see him as anything other than Luke Skywalker That's exactly for a long long say. time yeah this was such a huge role for him he especially is one of those people that turns up and he is that character he is not 
I hate to say it, he's not Harrison Ford. He is Luke Skywalker. He is the Joker. He is the trickster. Whatever you see him in, he is that character. Well, without a really engaging Luke character, this series would never have really captured people's hearts on so many levels. I mean, Han is brilliant, but he's not given enough screen time to really have that level of impact. And Vader is also a fantastic villain, but there's not really enough range to him beyond stalking presence and then conflicted bad guy to really carry the films. And it's, it's ultimately it's an ensemble piece. But Luke, as your boy hero, is He's absolutely the driving The Emperor's made a critical error and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoints the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. We also know that the weapon systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Admiral Akbar, please. It's a trap! Caroline Blackiston. This lady uh, plays Mon Mothma. Never knew what a Botham was, but when she delivers that line, many Bothans died. For a long time, I thought this was Julie Andrews when I was little. <laughs> she is wonderful. Why wasn't she in it more? She's like Star Wars Galadriel. I always thought the way she delivers that line, that she is Botham herself. Hmm? I think maybe Bothans all changed now. In Legends, they became a, a certain type of person. Like, yeah, they're, uh, they're kind of furry, dog-looking people. Yeah. But uh, maybe they'll go, like, maybe in the new ones will be like, hey, I'm a Bothan. Oh, that's what a Bothan is. They're going to look like John Candy's character oh, from Spaceballs. <laughs> They're basically moths. I'm my own best friend. <laughs> I, love, I love the look of Akbar. Yeah. The eyes are so fantastic. And he also has a bearing to him. I, I, I would take orders from this giant fish. General and to be fair, not an easy thing to do if you're an actor in a suit like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a very immobile face. Mm. The mouth flaps a bit and the eyes move a little bit. I love the design of the speeder bikes. Being a bike guy myself, I just, I just really do like the look. Yeah. And you'll get that the, hurts. these that sounds. Whole yeah, he's a dead man. There. Every bone in his body shattered. Luke no, is that's a trying. multiple murderer in this one. But then again, he is in the first one as well. They all are. Capping stormtroopers. I mean, but it's war, like, isn't this it? This part is all war. <clears throat> the um, the hut thing might not have directly been war-related, but it was still a rescue mission. Yeah. We can justify all day. There's blood on your hands, Luke. Well, apart from the people you killed with the lightsaber, that cauterizes the wound. <laughs> and how many people did you kill, Obi-Wan? That's not up for debate. <laughs> I tried to kill your father, but it didn't work. And I had the high ground, too. I threw him in a volcano because I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> Only the Sith feel anger. That's something I was thinking of as well. Just like, yeah, like anger, fear, aggression, the dark side of that. It, it, it's almost like they're lumping this, like anyone who's actually terminally emotional? angry and very emotional about it gets lumped in with the Sith. But I can't see how being emotionless is better. It's the, the problem is, I think, the way they try to um, 
the language employed is way too simplistic. Emotions. Mm. It's there's no sense of you know <gasps> feel your emotions, acknowledge them, process them, and then you can go forward with a clear Great head. Shepard. It's just you know put a lid on everything and then cross your fingers and hope it doesn't all blow up in your face. Yes, and that's a level where the gray side kind of the jedi that would be more gray i think have kind of a benefit over there is that yes they can kind of pick and choose the things that they're going to be involved in but um balanced force you does this if the sith are the id the jedi are the super ego and being led by either one of those exclusively is not a good idea good point Pew, 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 pew. A lot of pew-pew in this. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Have we seen a lot of bolts deflected by lightsabers yet? Uh, no. no, I think that Or is actually, that the first moment? That might actually have been the first and only moment of, oh, I didn't know he could do that. And in fact, yeah, the only moment in the entire series. And then that we saw so much of it in the prequels. It's now become, you know, fundamentally dull. Oh, yeah. Nice shot of 3PO's cod piece right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because when Empire Vader doesn't deflect it, he's, he's just sort of he doesn't really catch it with the whole just with his hand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's involved. that energy manipulation power. But you thought that it might be at least at the time. I thought it's it's just Vader who can do that because he's just so powerful. And to be fair, it's not like it hurts him. He hasn't got any arms or legs. It's like stubbing a cigarette out in that, your hand. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's true. There is apart from the bit with Leia when he's in Endor. They never sit down and talk to each other. In the entire trilogy, really, they never sit down and talk to each other. Think about it. Like, all, like... Okay, Han and Leia talk to each other in Empire. And they talk to each other a bit in this. The hard part... You're totally right that there isn't a lot of communication between the, the main characters. The problem is that it's assumed... Because space travel in Star Wars takes time. It takes a couple of days to get between yeah. planets. They sat there chatting eat with each other all so, day. I mean, they're doing that all the time. Yeah. We just never witness it, which is a bummer. And I hope that they can include that in future Star Wars oh, stuff. Th- you know there will be because Use that's what modern films are like. The entirety of Red Dwarf consisted of was them chatting to each other as they went from place. There was one episode marooned, which was nothing but that. And it's one of the best episodes. Yeah. The Emperor has been expecting you. I know, Father. So, you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. It is the name of your true self you've only forgotten. I know there is good in you. The Emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. That was why you couldn't destroy me. That's why you won't bring me to your emperor now. Fantastic vocal performance, as I said earlier, from uh, from James L. Jones. Mr. Jones is amazing. Yeah, it's so un- again back to the underplayed. There's there's not a lot of movement. It's all done with the voice and tone. It just works so well. So it was it was David Prowse in the suit? All the time through these three, these three, wasn't it? Except for uh, during some fight scenes with Luke uh, when uh, Bob Anderson stepped in. Oh, okay, for the sword stuff. Hmm. I do really like the fact that you have the juxtaposition between Yoda and um, Palpatine in this one. You have in for Yoda's death, he's trying to impart things of great importance to Luke, but he's really gentle about it. There's no forcefulness in the way he tells him those things because mm. he knows that if he's urgent and forceful and commanding, it, it 
either not go in or it'll result in a, a reaction from Luke yeah. that's not what he wants. The backlash or something. Exactly. Whereas the Emperor, everything is must, should, you know, controlling and, and forceful, and it has to happen this way. Hmm. I think Luke is a product of his surroundings in most of this film where he's in a hive of scum and villainy and he's dabbling. He's kind of taking some of probably, I, I assume the force is going to have, you know, some, some weirdness, some darkness around that area. Bad things happen all the time in this gangster drug ring and whatnot, yeah, whatever. So he has to react in a way that his environment requires, which means he's incredibly flexible, which is a, a, an incredibly useful skill to have. Uh, what do we think of the speeder bike chase today? A little long. A little too long. Unnecessarily long, but a good no. idea. Not as long as the pod race. I was about to say, <laughs> it, it is the foreshadowing of the pod race. See, I really like the uh, speeder bike chase. It, it has um, a genuine feeling of, of, of speed and kineticism, yeah. and, uh, and you feel that it's incredibly dangerous, and people just die from not paying attention. I, I think it's awesome, and, and particularly so if you see it on the big screen. Actually, yeah, I have seen it on the big screen. I saw it in 1997. I, I can't wait to see it again at some point. In 3D! Special editions. There were many changes made to Jedi over the years. Let's see what you guys make of these. A new Jabba's Palace Band musical number, Jedi Rocks, replaces Leptinac. Some other footage is added from the extended music video of Leptinac. The puppet of the female alien singer Cy Snootles is replaced by a new CGI version. They had nine new characters added to the Max Rebo band. Now, I know that, James, you, you hadn't, until I showed you it, actually seen the original version of this. So, obviously, for you, it's an improvement, right? Yeah, I preferred the new, funkier, yeah, this music is so much cooler. Neil, what did you think of, the, of this new one in comparison to the old one? I quite like the band bit. It's quite funky, but did we really need to see inside the mouth? This one's interesting. There's an additional scene of Ula in the Rancor Pit. Ula, played by Femi Taylor, reprising her role 14 years after the original film. Taylor was cast in the new scenes after her brother had been talking to a friend that was working on the special editions, who mentioned that they were working on the scenes featuring the dance scene in Jabba's Palace. Taylor's brother mentioned that she was in the original and was in better shape than she was when she shot the original scenes. As a result, she was cast with a number of shots of her new dance moves edited into the original footage, with no noticeable difference in her body within the 15 years between the two shots. Now that's cool. I never knew that. I never knew that. What is that? All the close-up bits where she's going, is, is new. And some of the uh, shots of her dancing. I did not know this. That, that's good. See, and again, that goes back to the whole as if it was always there. Those are the best changes yep. to make. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. It is a bit kind of 60s spy movie to have someone just drop through a trap door and then you just hear rum, 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 ah! coming from underneath. <laughs> uh, the Sarlacc has now extra CG tentacles and a CG beak. Tentacles, yeah. yes. Beak, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're all for the tentacles. Now I'm very worried. The, the tentacles are fine because the tentacles draw in the prey. The mouth is the hole. That was the whole point. You know, that, that was the entire point, that the hole was the mouth. The beak was just unnecessary. It almost A psychologist it will be in touch. <laughs> I was about to say that. You stole my joke. <laughs> Sorry. 
At the end of the trilogy, after the Empire is defeated, scenes of celebration on Bespin, Tatooine and Coruscant are shown in addition to the original and new celebration scenes on Endor. The musical theme, Ewok Celebration, during this sequence has been replaced with an entirely new John Williams composition, Victory Celebration. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, all right this, this is another grey area. This is a very tentacles, yes, speak, no sort of thing. Um, the musical thing, fine. Although I'm still disappointed. I, this is the one... The Polynesian-sounding flute bit, yeah? Yeah, the one time yeah. I've ever been disappointed in John Williams is both the Ewoks... Because you showed me the Ewoks song. What the... Was that, that all about? We'll play the original Ewok version now, and then we'll play the new version at the very, very end. Okay. okay, so original Ewok version sounded like this. the Wind Waker and those little goblin things that have devil's walk like, those, those bad guys that's what that reminds me of uh-huh. you, you know what I would like she grown up with it, it might be different oh, no it was just it's the one time I, and when yeah, the 97 so, version I liked it's nice and you know calm and serene but when you think how big and majestic like the um, the the medal ceremony is, mm. and they used that in the. What's it? Whenever you go and see Star Wars: um, A Musical Journey, mm. they use that as the final theme yeah. over that footage, and it works so much better. Sorry, left the. Yeah, medal ceremony. Oh, I was, I, I was going to say, you know what I would have liked to see is, you know, I rather enjoyed uh, the Ewok song, the the victory celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was corny, but it, it it seemed fitting for these, you know. Uh, Three steps away from a teddy bear, uh, or as uh, one of the kids that I watched this with yesterday said, you know, oh look, man eating teddy bears. Yeah, they, and- they are cannibals. <laughs> well, at least they will eat humans gladly. Right. And I mean, it's, it's not even like they don't even know what they are. They're just like, ah, oh, more humans. They will be tasty like the last lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that, so, that, that makes me worry because you know, at the end, you see that um, stormtroopers' heads. Helmet, they're playing yes, them. Helmet. I expect a head to fall out of the helmet. <laughs> So, so I would like to see that, you know, the, the Ewoks victory celebration song there. And then have like a, um, you know, a, a second ending, you know, like, you know, maybe how they ended uh, Lord of the Rings with. You had one ending, then another ending. 
um, and in yeah. which they sort of faded into the other song, which I'm not too big of a fan of, but I would like to see the impact of, of the universe to it. You know, I, I think that's the nice thing about these remasters is, you know, whether successful or not, it tries to tie, tie in the events of the film with the larger universe. Yeah. I loved seeing um, people celebrating in um, Tatooine, in Cloud City, um, and then in a dark cityscape, which we eventually found out was Coruscant, or I eventually found out was Coruscant. And Naboo. Like- and Naboo. Don't forget Naboo. Uh, oh, apparently in the 2004 version they of Naboo. The Naboo and Gungan celebrations I didn't like because that ties it too much to the prequels. And if you're going to yeah. do that, why not go the whole hog? Why not see Camino? Why not see Geonosis? Why not see blah, blah, blah? Well, because they were sad. No more... No more well, Camino, like, uh, I suppose no more clones for us. <laughs> and Geonosians... Geonosians would have been pissed because they were building the second Death Star. <laughs> okay, fair point. And, but it'd be great to see like all these massive cityscapes of people cheering, and then just this empty Camino factory and going, "Well, we're fucked." <laughs> like, it's also it's nice to see that everyone's really happy the Emperor's gone. It's not like the entirety of Coruscant's like, "Oh God, no," because that's a lot of people whose lives were just ruined. Otherwise, it's yeah, it's, it's nice to see that basically the Emperor didn't speak for everybody. Right, and uh, here is the Greedo shooting first. Luke screaming, Boba Fett talking like Jameer and Morrison moment. I've been waiting for this bit. Yep. When Anakin, Yoda and Obi-Wan appear together in spirit form at the end of the movie, Sebastian Shaw is replaced by Hayden Christensen, showing a young Anakin with an old Yoda and Obi-Wan. I hate that bit. I hate that bit. Because if you're going to show young Anakin, why do you show old Obi-Wan? I think it's symbolic of, oh, look, Anakin died when he was younger and then he became Darth Vader. That was clearly the intention. Yeah. But it's all bollocks! <laughs> it, it, unfortunately, I hate it, yet there's the part of me that goes, well, it makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. Sam, I, I have actually got like, an anecdotally, it does, it, it makes sense for the kids. Anecdote. But my, no, no, no. My, my little cousin, um, he, he lost his grandma, uh, about a year or so after he was born. And so he never knew his grandma. His mum is, has been absolutely cut up about losing her mum, obviously, because, you know, she was very close to her. Mm-hmm. And then when he first watched Return of the Jedi, having watched the prequels first and then the original trilogy, and Anakin come back, he turned to his mum and said, oh, Anakin's going to come back and look after Luke and Leia. Julie goes, yes, just like um, Grandma looks after you. And my cousin just burst out into tears. And, and so it, 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 it's there it's the, for the kids, and that, that it, it ties the whole thing together. And I... I accept it for that, but it's still fucking wrong. As annoying and cannibalistic as the Ewoks are, I have to give props to Warwick Davis for his performance as Wicket. At 12 years old, he was able to act pretty convincingly the physical mannerisms of another species. Yeah, no argument. He's fantastic. Wicket's a great character. Watch his tongue all the time. He's using his tongue almost like a little extrasensory thing. He he keeps sort of playing with it. Because the Ewoks had very little... Well, the the little people inside the costumes had very little ability to move the faces of of their costumes, or even the eyes. But Warwick was very interested in his tongue and he he'd paid a lot of attention to his dog in, in terms of the little head movements and things, and he, he basically copied him to, in, to to give Wicked some character, and it really worked. And I am so happy that Warwick Davis managed to carve uh, a, a pretty damn good uh, career out of uh, starting out here. Rumours abound that the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees originally, and it would have served the plot far better if this was so. 
Lucas wanted to see a primitive culture triumph over a technologically advanced one in the way that in recent years the Viet Cong had repelled American troops through jungle warfare on their own turf. The Wookiees were shown through Chewbacca to be actually pretty tech-savvy, so this wouldn't have worked. The fatal flaw in this argument is that the Ewoks don't actually win. They get their furry asses handed to them by the scout walkers and shot to pieces by stormtroopers, their slings and arrows proving only minor inconveniences against the Empire's mighty legion. What turns the tide is... A Wookiee! A Wookiee! Commandeering a scout walker and using their technology against them. Then Han uses the same scout walker to pull a con on the Dogen Imperials in the bunker, who surrender alarmingly quickly and bloodlessly, considering that they're effectively giving up the second Death Star to the attacking rebel fleet. It's a fudged ending, and the Imperials should have won that thing. I would say that uh, the Viet Cong wouldn't have gotten as far as they could did without Chinese and Russian AK-47s. i got to ask you guys, uh, how many of you guys, like... Got a little choked up when the the, the, uh, the one Ewok dies. One yeah. Ewok. Um, wasn't bothered. Not really. Uh, when I was a kid, yes. Now, no. <laughs> but yeah, when I was a kid, that did make me. It was nicely Aww. done because it's it's just like this one Ewok, and and ultimately it's that his friend is really sad about it, and you you get that that emotion from his friend, and you feel the loss there. But I kind of wanted more Ewoks to die. <laughs> <laughs> Not out of bloodthirstiness, just as a sense that, that, that this was an actual war and that there were actual casualties. It doesn't seem like anyone really dies in this fight, apart from the poor sods inside the scout walkers. They get squished. I envision a better version where Leia leads a small team of Wookiee commandos through the war-torn forests of Kashyyyk to take out the shield bunker at the heart of the Emperor's slaving pen, freeing their subjugated brethren and causing widespread Wookiee panic among the Imperials. Instead, we get Saturday morning cartoon violence, hang gliders and catapults. That's kind of laughable in a post-Lord of the Rings world and not a patch on the immensity of the Battle of Hoth. This is alleviated by possibly the most stunning space battle ever put to film as the rebels dogfight around the fully armed and operational battle station, conveying the sheer panic of a ragtag fighting force caught between an armada and an indestructible war machine. Primitive culture versus technological. I can see that with the tree traps like the uh, the logs and stuff that, that kill the walkers find. It's the sticks and the rocks and the slings mm. that manage to take out fully armoured stormtroopers. And... Even children don't buy that. I didn't buy that. Because a rock hitting you on a helmet. If you're wearing a hard hat on a construction site and a spanner hits you on the on the hard hat, you're not going to die. You're not going to be then out of the count. No, you'd like, fall down, you'd get yourself back up, you'd shake it off, and then you'd shoot the Ewok who did it. Exactly. It, it would have been so much better if it was Wookiees. Was it Chewie's shown that with, you know, Wookiees are much more tech-savvy? When you look at the Battle of Kashyyyk in Episode 3... They're reasonably tech-savvy, but they're still using just sheer rage to take on the, dro- the, the yeah. armies of the droids. They're flying they're still... in those uh, little um, cast- catamarans. Yeah, they're flying in the little catamarans. Even the ones what's it, like the, uh, 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 on the boats, they're swimming out to the boats, jumping on, dropping a grenade in and running. That's not technological, that's just good sense. It's that's... guerrilla warfare. It's, it's what we wanted to see in, in Endor. I think it, it, we could have had a lot more emotional impact in there, and we didn't need clone troopers either. Wookiees would not have been any less any less satisfying than than Ewoks. But they would have been so much more dignified. Exactly. I mean, kids love Wookiees. Chewie, everyone loves Chewie. Chewie's like a big, big growly ter- teddy bear, albeit one who can kick your ass. Someone did say that it's possible that he wanted to market a lot of Wookiees, but it was cheaper to do Ewoks because the, the plastic cost less and you could you could flog the figures for the same price, half the size. That's that's a grim idea. 
that, that that's one I really hope isn't. I always true. thought he didn't go through with the Wookiee idea because it was too expensive to film. Why? Why? You could just literally do what they did. It literally have Endor be called Kashyyyk. We haven't even seen Kashyyyk apart from in the holiday special, and that was fact, a single drawing from uh, Ralph Macquarie. In fact, Kashyyyk is is very similar to Endor in that you know if we alarmingly go with, you know, so. Yeah, if we're going to go with the one tropic planets that the Star Wars universe has, hmm. it's woods. It's a wood planet. It falls in the wood crowd. I don't know, it, it just seems like there could have been more. We're not convincing the Jedi haters here, are we? It, it cheapens the space battle, as you so rightly point out. The space battle is incredible, mm. particularly if you play it on Star Wars Rogue Squadron True Rogue, uh, Rogue Leader on GameCube. That's amazing level, and it's it is the best star um, best space battle out of the that entire series. Game. It's difficult, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. What's it, Leo? Having finished on such an amazing space battle, that's the one thing that the um, the prequels will miss. Well, I say the one thing, one of the many things that the prequels will miss. <laughs> the one it's, thing. Uh, oh, it would have been perfect. Just sticking the space battle. Yeah. No, they but, sort of have one in episode. it's such a great space battle and it's cheapened by the fact that it comes back to it's very much like episode 1 like you've got this amazing twirly lightsaber battle and it keeps cutting back to the slapstick Jar Jar battle of of the Gungans and you're like I don't want to watch this shit I want to watch the lightsabers I want to watch the space battle as I said they they divided it up too much in in episode 4 you just got one thing Death Star run Episode 5, you got Luke fighting Vader, you got Chewie and Leia and Lando escaping Cloud City. Episode 6, you got Endor, you got Luke on the Death Star, and you got the battle outside the Death Star. Episode 1, you've got Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan. You got the Gun Guns doing their stupid fight against the robots. You got the gorilla battle of uh, Padme running around in her palace. And you got Anakin flying around, uh, you know, up in space trying to get into the droid cage. It's just too much stuff. Yeah. Uh, they, they push it in Jedi, I think. They could probably, I mean, they could even have done it with minimal amounts of the actual physical battle of Endor. The actual, the space battle would have been enough, but... Uh, on that note, well, well, I was, I was just going to briefly say, you know, Lucas was the guy who gave us the 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 event film, mm. and one of the, you know, one of the things you want to do is you want to appeal to all markets there, and so yeah, what what I love about Jedi is is the interpersonal relationships, you know, uh, Luke confronting his father, uh, Luke and Luke Leia Han, uh, you know. Uh, uh, messiness there, you know, getting the gang back together, you know, that's that's for me is the heart of Jedi. Mm. It's much Ewoks, more Sarlacc, Sarlacc pit burping, you know, all that sort of stuff. Those are the kid. That those are things for the kids. I forgot the Sarlacc pit does burp. It eats Boba Fett and then burps. Ugh. Yes, I th- I th- that's the only part time where he's badass because he's the only one badass enough to make Sarlacc burp. <laughs> All the others That'll be the flamethrower. Okay. So badass, I call Sarlacc indigestion. Hey, point that thing someplace else. Hey, Han, don't. I love Han's tough guy against the little teddy bears act. This is wonderful. Oh, I mean, oh. Yeah, I never hated the Ewoks as a kid. Because you don't. Why would you? I didn't either. Now... I don't hate him now. <sighs> okay, one thing I'm noticing, which I'd never really picked up on before, is the fact that the Ewoks are actually really quite potentially dangerous. Yeah. But yes. nobody takes them seriously. Yeah. 
I mean, they would so- shove one of those spears in your eye, yeah. and you would, you'd be dead in a second. What did you think about it? They put to Leia to be afraid of Wicket, despite the fact that he has this really nasty-looking spear in his hand. Oh, that one I can see right. I can see the face under the eyeball. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand anything they're saying? Oh, yes, Master Luke. Remember that I am fluent in over six million forms of communication. What are you telling them? Hello, I think. I could be mistaken. They're using a very primitive dialect, but I do believe they think I am some sort of god. (laughs) Well, why don't you use your divine influence and get us out of this? Is this racist? This is racist, isn't it? Possibly, I'm about not... indigenous tribes worshiping something. Yeah, it's kind of the know. I don't know. crazy kind of thing. Like see, three pairs of giant coke bottle. That would have been more comfortable, sure. So, and now we take the dog turn. Yeah, there's Logray. You know, <laughs> Chewie's like he's so tall on that spit, whatever it is. He's, you know, they slammed his butt against every rock along the way home. Surely, Chewie would have seemed like the most the most king Ewok. That's a good point, actually. Them thinking that Chewie is some sort of god, that I buy. Toughest Ewok ever. Maybe not the shiny thing. Mm-hmm. Is he holding a lightsaber? He is holding loose lightsaber. Oh, man. There's what a dark possibility. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, Princess Ganesha gets written out of the script. He's my father. Your father? There's more. It won't be easy for you to hear it, but you must. If I don't make it back, you're the only hope for the Alliance. Luke, don't talk that way. You have a power I I don't understand and could never have. You're wrong, Leia. You have that power, too. Right, now is like the only time Luke and Leia get to talk about anything. I mean, the last actual conversation they had, and where they sat down and talked to each other properly, uh, was just after Ben Kenobi was killed. And that thing lasted six seconds. Yeah. Great amount of disgust there from Carrie Fisher, because this is a man who tortured her and blew up her planet. She hates Vader. I love his earnestness here. Yeah. He, he's Worthy of a trailer, edge. wouldn't you say? Well, indeed. Um, he's on the edge of being so intense, he's almost frightening. There's always a softly unspoken relationship between Luke and Leia. They never clash with one another. There's just a quiet sense of caring deeply with each never asking anything of the other. In fact, looking back, there was never a free son of actual attraction between them, and maybe I'm retrofitting this. Clearly the actors didn't know, especially in the first film. But their connection was always so innocent. It was patently clear that unless one of them died, Leia was going to end up with Han. It's what people wanted to see. It's the moonlighting relationship. That's no moonlighting relationship. Luke and Leia being brother and sister just slotted in perfectly, so the fact that it wasn't originally planned is one of the best decisions of the writing process based on the actor's performances. And considering the ending of Jedi, despite the fact that so many people hate the Ewoks, I've yet to hear a more perfect ending suggested or described than what we saw take place in the Emperor's throne room in 1983. It is the depiction of a young man's determination to be fundamentally good and peaceful, set in opposition against an old man who has spent his life violently lashing out 
only to have his dark opponent perform an act of self-sacrifice when Luke's resolve is put to the final test and he still refuses to enact justified vengeance. Luke couldn't have killed Vader. Not in the end. He's too interesting a character. Because as much as we want to see the evil punished, there is something relieving to the soul about redemption. Here we go, here's the jealousy moment. Could you tell Luke? Is that how you could tell? Oh, I see. I've just been hit with a huge bomb, and you are not helping right now, Han. Yeah. If he starts talking about the friend zone, we're gonna have words. <laughs> friend zone again. Oh, jeez. But it's understandable, because obviously she has a very, very strong bond with Luke, and, you know, Han doesn't really understand the subtleties of any of that. She's only just starting to understand the subtleties. I'll add that and bit he, there, where he, yeah. he goes to Storm Off, he goes to be Han Solo, and something stops him. Yeah. I like that bit so much. I it's... believe that was Mr. Kasdan. <laughs> no, Harrison, come back. There's, there's more to <laughs> this scene. Yeah, Lawrence Kasdan returned to uh, the writing on this one. Obi-Wan once thought as you do. You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. I will not turn, and you'll be forced to kill me. If that is your destiny. Suit your feelings, father. You can't do this. I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. It is too late for me, son. Watch both actors here. Remember their body language back on Cloud City and how much has changed between now and then. I don't think they're even really meaning any of the words that they're saying right now. I think they're just trying to read the other one. They, they, there's, there's a contest going on right now. Yeah. What they're saying has nothing to do with what's actually going on behind the eyes. And there's in so the much subtext, yeah. yeah. Yeah, technically, uh, Vader has to keep up appearances because he knows the Emperor is basically listening to this thing and, and watch earwigging the whole thing. He has to claim absolute and utter faithfulness to the Emperor, even though he's someone that... Remember that bit where you said we can destroy the Emperor and rule the galaxy as father and son? You actually said that, Dad. Son, you're really putting me in it right now. The four Star Wars films that were only written by George Lucas, that's A New Hope and the prequel trilogy, all the characters say exactly what they're feeling all the time. Lawrence Kasdan's three, Empire, Jedi, and The Force Awakens, a lot more accomplished at conveying hidden emotion through action and often what they don't say. The Emperor will show you the true nature of the Force. He is your master now. Then my father is truly dead. To this day, you know what, and I've seen the prequels and I've seen this whole saga that is Vader's life and the choices and things that he made, but I have absolutely no connection in my brain with this Darth Vader and Hayden Christensen's character that he played as Anakin Skywalker. Yep. They are completely different. 
They, they went too young. Anakin did not need to be a kid. Yeah, could have been a 20 year old mechanic. I'm noticing in, in the way certain, I don't know if you're noticing it because we've got the subtitles on, certain words are emphasised or certain way things are said and it, it's playing into that subtext. Indeed, you are powerful. I yeah. must obey my master. He's. It's almost like Vader is telling him, you know what you need to do. Da, da, da. Interesting with Vader's line there, also knowing what happens, because he's seen it and he's performed this uh, before when Palpatine changed apprentices. He was the one that beheaded Dooku. It's just that shot of that pressure on him at that stage. It's like, right, am I basically now... Not saying anything, my just acting with your body language. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Prowse yeah. never gets enough um, credit. Credit, because I mean, ultimately, uh, James L. Jones' delivery is is a one best in the world ever. Probably the best thing a... in Star Wars, honestly. Yeah. It's it's Mr. Jones's work. It's amazing. It's certainly one of the most iconic things about the whole. But uh, yeah, but David Prowse had a lot to actually do in this one. Because uh, in Empire, he just has to look menacing most of the time. In Jedi, he's ha- he has to look very conflicted. Mm. And how does one do that? Without a face. All in the armor. Mm. Well, and Vader's this- a big character. It took... Uh, we've got Prowse for the motions. We've got uh, the swordsman Anderson. for some of those. Yep, Bob Anderson. And we have the vocals from James Earl Jones. That's three people just... Doing the visual and the audio for the character, and then we're talking about the costume design. Costume design, exactly. Yeah. And there may have actually been some stunts effort. when he was falling over as well. That wasn't Bob Anderson. Uh, the Death Star Two, actually, we've got to say, I've got to say, fantastic piece of a uh, 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 beautiful sort of re-engineering of the original Death Star. That seems much more like a real thing to me than the perfect sphere. Mm. Being able to sort of see the layers to it. it yeah. It's, it's more things. intimidating too. It's, it's a, a trap. trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, it makes it look a bit like a haunted house because it it almost looks like it Jagged. started to deteriorate. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I liked the initial trailer for Abram Star Trek. Mm. You actually see the ship being built, and you yeah. never see that, and that, that was just nice to see. Yeah. Gives you a sense. It gives you a sense of realness. There's also all of these tiny uh, fiber optic lights all over it as well, which give it those little the model work with little bits of light on it. In back in the day, always looked stunning. Blade Runner is a perfect example of the cityscape with all of these points of light all over it, and it's just a giant model. Yeah, it's one of my favorite effect shots. Yeah. Whereas the original Death Star, kind of like a big hangy thing. <laughs> By now, you must know your father can never be turned from the dark side. So will it be with you. You're wrong. Soon I'll be dead. And you with me. <laughs> Perhaps you'll refer to the imminent attack on your rebel fleet. Yes. I assure you, we are quite safe from your friends here. Your overconfidence is your weakness. Your faith in your friends is yours. Emperor's not moving at all. Luke's jump going back and forth. He's, he's very mobile, very agitated. Clearly being gotten to. Scenery chewing, but at the same time, withheld performance from McDermott. <laughs> Difficult to, write, to, to hit that balance, but he does. Did a little research and the forest scenes on Endor were indeed shot in Northern California's Del Norte County. They also shot Last of the Mohicans here and E.T. And just up the road, they shot The Lost World. 
By today's standards, this is a pretty feeble battle on the ground. We've had so many battles since that really show off scale, and whereby you're invested in one or both sides. Also, the sheer scale of the Imperial Walkers in Empire means this was always going to feel a bit more like kids playing in a treehouse. Having said that, the space battle is still, to this day, extremely visually impressive and dynamic. And of course, you have the main event on the Death Star itself. You'd think they'd realize, you know, those dark side users, that it's doing bad things to their body. Your eyes are yellow now. Yeah. You think by now somebody would have told them it's not very good for them? I have limited sympathy for a Sith. Here's what would actually happen on this extremely complex walking battle tank. It would pitch forward onto its nose and explode. If you put two Ewoks in the driver's seat... Yeah, but Chewie's in there. Chewie, yeah. Chewie would have basically tossed those guys out. And they got fried. The, the scout walkers are actually really menacing, intimidating, awesome pieces of kit. They've got those two scary-looking black eyes as well. Yeah, a lot of the design is very for intimidation. Yeah, I mean, ima- ima- if it had like a, a, a long panel, uh, like a view screen, it would look scary. But the fact that they're two shutters that make it look like a sort of a a blank staring skull. Ooh. That is a dead scout trooper right there. <laughs> yeah. With a snap back like a Muppet's mouth. I'm smell. surprised his head didn't come off. <laughs> you laugh. Add that for a future special edition. <laughs> they don't really have the same chemistry in this as they do in Empire, do they? They're very easy with each other, except for that bit with um, with Luke in the, uh, the treehouse. <laughs> No. Good. That was a no. weird wire trick. That was a weird one. If you're going to have Vader flip, have him land on his feet. Don't have him land on his ass. Well, uh, you've got to begin to wonder at this point, as a kid, maybe Vader will lose this one. Maybe Luke will beat him. Maybe actually that's not a good thing. His focus is wavering at this point. Yeah. I do love this one. We are unwise to lower your defenses. Jing, 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 jing. This is... By far and away, the best Star Wars uh, lightsaber fight. The most emotionally charged so far. Yeah, because it's actually got emotion and emotional charge to it. A lot of things at stake and... um, And doesn't look like a video game. And defeat of the Dark Lord does not necessarily equal success. It's a complicated fight. Because in theory, done right, the Obi-Wan Anakin uh, lightsaber fight should be on this level and it's not well originally when I first saw it I was like, I was thinking finally all this emotionally charged but now I don't care anymore I think they just try to compensate with choreography for that one yeah. more yeah, than anything they were, else they went way overboard with the choreography I mean and it goes it was off cool looking but and it looks like a video game it didn't give them a chance to act video, yeah. it gave them a chance to dance with swords you will meet your destiny. Which they're doing here, but the dialogue, the actions that they take, it's all part, it plays, everything plays into the, the, the internal struggles that yeah. we find out both characters are going through. Yeah. You will not take her from me! It just, uh, it's just screaming, good, it doesn't mean anything. Good. 
Yeah, I mean, like, because so much of what episode three is about is about Anakin assuming all kinds of things which aren't actually even true. Yeah, and when, as the audience, you know that all those things aren't true and that his persistence in believing those things makes him more stupid than anything yeah. else. Knock it off, Anakin! Because if, if they had a way to, to get us to relate to him or have him relate to us in some way, that means more. Yeah. Mm. Was that a boring conversation anyway? <laughs> but it's mired down like with, with every time Anakin speaks, you know, no, because it's oh, I'm so in love with you. And just like every time he speaks, you, you I hate him more. Which it's he's not it's not his character. It's not his fault that the writing was that way. Oh yeah. Because no. I've seen Hate Christensen in other things where he was excellent. He did his acting was top notch, but man oh man, you just can't get away with stuff when a great principal point of that is you look at anything with Hugh McGregor in anything with Natalie Portman in um, or later some other later Hayden Christian stuff given the right material they are fantastic actors oh absolutely we live in a real world come back to it sorry we aren't supposed to talk about this stuff but like, I know like, I'm thinking it, how drunk it, is someone right now if they were taking a drink during that conversation because the whole so. point is it's meant to be the fear of loss that drives Anakin to the dark side and you never actually feel it it doesn't drive him to the dark side it drives him to the stupid side <laughs> embrace the stupid side have you when Vader goads Luke into attacking him by saying he will turn Leia to the dark side that brings Luke closer than he's ever been to his darker self propelled there with protective fury Notice how in both this duel and the one between Rey and Kylo Ren at the end of The Force Awakens, when she harnesses a righteous fury, because this guy just killed Han, her new surrogate father, and may just have killed Finn, her new surrogate brother. In both fights, the Darksider is overwhelmed and spends the rest of the time playing defense and then losing. I suspect this is because when Luke and Rey strike back that hard, Vader and Kylo realize not even that deep down, that they're in the wrong. They can't access their own anger, which is what fuels them, and they are ashamed and disgusted with themselves. You have a twin sister. He never says, I have a daughter. Yeah, it, it never seems to click with him that, that Leia is his child too. There's no reaction from him on that count, which either means that they have him deliberately take that tack because he is so shut off from the human side of him that he wouldn't even acknowledge that or they completely forgot that he really ought to have had some kind of reaction to that yeah. Luke starts wailing on him here and he's overwhelmed him and it, like Vader's defending himself but there's a little bit of yeah he's kind of right to hate me I'm awful this is when Luke stops using it as a sword and it becomes a baseball bat. Yeah. And the choir in the background is, is killing it. a beatdown. Oh, yeah, no, 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 totally. But think about it. This is all his ethics, all his principles, this plan that he devised, what he decided that he was going to do, just come here and not fight. Yeah. The idea that Leia might be threatened and all that goes out the window. We are real close to the dark side right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, we are on the dark side. Oh, touching it there. Look at him thinking about it. You know what? And I think... The Emperor overplayed his hand right here. Honestly, the look on Luke's face a moment ago before the Emperor started talking. Yeah. yeah if he just He might have gone him. through with it. Yep. But he lacks subtlety. He needs control. He wants to make sure he's tweaking every possible moment of this. And because... And to you guys he is, to be a touched on it before, where Yoda was very gentle with him mm. in order to not instigate 
a, an opposition response because Luke is still a, a kid, basically. Yeah. yeah. And wants to dig his heels in on stuff. But Palpatine doesn't have the soft stand. No, he and he doesn't understand that at all. That sometimes the best way to get people to do what you want them to do is just seed it really, really carefully and then back away and let it blossom on its own. What an interesting take on that. That's cool. I never thought about this before. Did I ever tell you the legend of softly, softly catch him, monkey? And this is the downfall of anyone who who seeks absolute control of people of any age. It's probably best not to quite so obviously and overtly manipulate them. Just leave a little bit more to chance, leave a little bit more to them feeling like, no, actually, this is something I want. Also, the Sith are very silly. Um, what what did Palpatine honestly expect at that stage from Vader? Uh, he's going to basically, like, I was going to let you die... And now you get to come back and be my lapdog. So you just stand here. I'm going to fry your son for you. And oh my god, you punked me. Basically, at that stage, Palpatine should have killed both of them. Palpatine was is thinks of Vader as his lapdog yeah. at best. At best. But the Sith pretty much train you to grow more powerful than your master and stab him in the back. That's the way the Sith work. That's the big kahuna. That's the the, the, well, the sweetest plum that the Sith are after to kill their own master. For a long time, though, Palpatine's been like the top egg, and it's basically been his apprentices offing each other. And also, to be fair, that's more established in the prequels and these, so you could say that it's it's. it's but I mean, it's Vader's already on, expressed in Empire a desire to destroy the Emperor and rule yeah. the galaxy as father and son. Something which we're, we've got to know that the Emperor knows. Yeah. <laughs> but I think also if you um, if you take Palpatine's view of what the Sith and the Dark Side are, he's taken that from misunderstandings and corrupt teachings, and I. I think he's even lost sort of the purity of what the Sith was originally supposed to be. I'm going to talk about Han Solo now. And even though I said this five years before a far better conclusion to his character in The Force Awakens, I still stand by this alternate Return of the Jedi ending, and it would be in the spirit of what eventually happened. Han starts out a selfish mercenary who only seems to care about Chewbacca. Throughout the trilogy, we see him begin to soften until he cares about Luke, then Leia, and eventually the rest of the Rebel Alliance. Because of the solidarity of his friends who rescue him from the jaws of death, his character completes his arc and becomes a compassionate individual. Unfortunately for us, it happens in the first hour of Jedi, and it's not very interesting. We get no sense of a battle won with Han as he becomes a meeker and more agreeable character. And the guy we loved from the first two films trickles away until it's clear that Harrison Ford is just phoning it in. One of the initial ideas that Ford was very keen on was Han dying early in the film, which would have been during the rescue attempt, the idea being that if they could kill Han, then nobody was safe. You could see why few people involved with the film would want to follow the end of Empire with an immediately depressing follow-up. And it's true that as a kid watching Jedi, if he had died at all, I would have hated the movie at first. 
But let's journey into the realms of an alternative universe where the story played out differently. What if Han had flown the Falcon at the Battle of the Second Death Star instead of Lando? What if we'd had Chewbacca rather than Neen Nun, the alien co-pilot who spoke in Kenyan? What if Leia and Lando were heading up the ground team instead? So you have three storylines all intertwining, each with a strong character at the helm. But to do them justice and to close out with an even bigger bang, picture this scene. Leia blows up the shield generator. Han flies into the Death Star with Chewie, closely followed by Wedge Antilles. They destroy the reactor and then race the flames towards the exit. But the flames are faster. And as the Falcon begins to die, Han realizes he has only a few seconds left to talk to Leia. And there's really only one thing that he can say. The emotional reversal of roles from the carbon freezing chamber, which gets weakly referenced in Jedi anyway. Han tells Leia he loves her, thus completing his arc, and she tells him she knows, thus traveling all the way from a woman who needs nobody to one who desperately needs one man. The second Death Star explodes. Luke escapes, Wedge escapes, Han and Chewie go down in flaming glory, and Leia is caught halfway between elation and utter despair. fucking ending that would have been awesome although I do love the part where the flames burst out and the falcon bursts out you know afterwards you know it's great it makes you feel fantastic like yay yeah, it's very but, much that yee-haw moment but yeah that, that it's a sacrifice of the Han character you'd have you'd remember Jedi as the best one if Han died in that one you'd have started off hating it but then it's like Empire times two yeah, because you start off really worried about him, and then you know he dies, but he died for the best of causes. Can I say something about Leia? Yeah, yeah, go for it. She I, gets I'm hardly a... anything to do in this film. I guess. Well, she has a uh, one awesome, awesome moment in the film that uh, often gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of in any of the indoor scenes. I think uh, this for me the speeder bike fight mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, Luke confronting Vader mm-hmm. on Endor, and this one scene that I'm going to talk about. When Leia, when Luke finally gets to talk to Leia, mm-hmm. and she's told about Vader being Luke's father, mm-hmm. and her reaction mm-hmm. is just priceless. I mean, you can really, you can like feel the disgust in in her yeah. voice. Because mm. this is a guy who tortured her and tortured Han. She's got everything to hate this guy about. And her reaction to me, I was like, you know, yeah, Padme was was you know cast off, but. But at least Lucas always championed Carrie Fisher, you know, mm-hmm. whether uh, she was the princess in white or the slave girl mm-hmm. uh, or here as, you know, a woman now dealing with family issues. And uh, so, yeah, that one scene is like, wow, you know, as a kid, I hated that scene. But as an adult and I can react to things differently. Uh, it really showed how how good an actress uh, Carrie Fisher can be. Mm. It's my wife's favorite scene. The saving grace of Jedi, the thing that makes all the weaker moments melt into insignificance, is the poise and dignity of Mark Hamill's performance as Luke. 
against James L. Jones and David Prowse's contemplative, conflicted, but still looming and deadly specter of death in Darth Vader. There have been very few double acts distilled into a single character that work as well as Prowse and Jones, but the combination of powerful voice and powerful frame make for an awe-inspiring villain. And it's in this film, however, that he becomes human again, and that's all down to Luke. To the haters of Jedi, the next time you watch it, pay close attention to how well-balanced this battle is. Both opponents are calm and confident, both seem ready to die for what they believe in, and both are trying desperately to avoid that nagging sense of doubt that maybe they're wrong, maybe the side they've chosen will not succeed this day. The Emperor sits between them like a cat with two new playthings, batting one against the other and cruelly tormenting the pair. Luke, with his good intentions and stoicism, is consistently confronted with the futility of his situation and the black mirror beside him. Vader, in turn, is goaded time and again with what a weak disappointment of an apprentice he is and how his only option at this point is to assist this vicious old bastard in subjugating his only son in the most warped and twisted manner and to willingly die in the process. It's one of cinema's all-time best confrontations, definitely the best lightsaber duel in the whole saga, generating layer upon layer of symbolism and subtlety. In the end, Vader brings the worst out of Luke by setting his sights on the as-yet untainted Leia. Filled with revulsion, Luke attacks him, giving in to the dark side, if only it will preserve that speck of light he has left. And Vader collapses under the weight of Luke's ferocity, clearly horrified, both at his own deformed soul and his willingness to harm his children. As Luke hacks off his father's hand and holds him beaten and fallen at Saber Point, placing him in reverse of the situation at Cloud City, he glances at the smoking robotic stump on Vader's arm, and that is his own mechanical hand now shrouded in black leather. Realising that the only way he can possibly break this chain, beat this darkness, and claim any kind of victory over the Emperor, he tosses his saber away. The dark side cannot be destroyed from without. That is the self-perpetuating secret that nobody ever seems to have figured out. It must destroy itself from within. So when Vader witnesses his son's willing self-sacrifice, coupled with the mercy he has shown his father, despite all reasoning, it latches on to that kernel of goodness within Anakin, and the loathing he feels for Palpatine is finally given purpose. He's been meaning to murder this man for decades now, but it's always been for personal gain, power and selfishness. Now he throws the Emperor to his death to protect his son in a matching act of self-sacrifice, destroying his vital life support in the process, and finally bringing a short-lived balance to the Force. In the original trilogy, episodes 4, 5, and 6... This is the heart. Yeah. You know, yeah. This is why we didn't want it to switch to that awesome, awesome space battle or the silly Ewok uh, war down mm. on the on, on the moon. Uh, we the Civil War space. is just the backdrop for this, this drama. Right, of, of right. We wanted to see this battle. We yeah. wanted to see it. And I think uh, it, pays, it pays off in spades. See, we didn't even realize that until the end of Empire. That for, for like two thirds of this trilogy, you don't know what it's about until after what, what the game changes in Empire, and that's when Jedi gets all of its focus. My favorite, uh, my probably my ultimate favorite scene is the, the the speech at the end after Vader takes his helmet off. But I think one of the most powerful, or the better one, is the conversation between Luke and his father down on uh, Endor. Oh yes, yeah, that's that, fantastic. That is, and if you watch it, he turns his back on his father as well, mm. and that that. Just that between those two characters is quite an interesting. You have to really watch that scene. There's a lot, uh, so much going on in that scene. Mm. I think it's fantastic. And, and, 
and this is the power I, I don't know if it's it's if it's simply filmmaking or staging or whatnot. Okay. So we have Vader and Luke in that in on the indoor scene, but also at when the Emperor is basically zapping the life out of Luke. Uh, and we look at, you know, both those areas has Vader conflicted. Mm. They're dealing with their identities. You know, they're, you know, both Vaders are dealing with the role they have chosen in life. But through the, the suit, through the, uh, through the mask and through the raspy breathing, we see the conflict. And anyone who's done acting, acting through a mask and conveying that meaning, that is that that's hard that is hard and yet we as viewers we see the conflict i see the conflict in you father there is no conflict what it's interesting about that the scene that lefty was talking about where luke's being hit with the force lightning mm. there's no voiceover that is just david prowse and there's not a lot going on but there's a lot going on if that even makes mm. sense. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I never, I'm not actually even thought about it, but Prowse does a fantastic job left of you, right? One of the, he's one of the actors, he's an actor in the movie that everyone forgets mm. because Darth Vader is James Earl Jones. Mm. No, it's two people. And would Vader been nearly effective without just the body acting? If it had been James Earl Jones in a suit. It'd have been a bit of a bigger suit. Yes. <laughs> Shorter and broader. <laughs> to do my weekly spiel on John Williams is God, one of the reasons for the last lightsaber fight is just so incredible and works so much better. Is yes. because unlike so all the all the um the prequel ones that go, oh dramatic music and oh yeah, it's exciting and bombast and majestic and all that stuff, as do the ones to an extent in well, New Hope has no music, so mm. I don't feel as much atmosphere. Empire has just the Imperial March and as uh, quite a desperation. This one just has a mournful the Emperor's theme, and it's it's brilliant. It's, it's creeping. It's, such a, it's creeping, and it's such a sad piece of music because you know either way, one of these people are going to lose. There's not going to be a happy ending where the two of them get to walk off into the sunset, father and son. I, and either way, the Emperor wins. The fact that this is the Emperor's theme, he is in complete control here. He has been waiting for this fight like for the last hour or so. He's been provoking this fight. This fight is almost on his terms. And either way, he wins. He either keeps his current apprentice or he gets a new one. Technically, he's been waiting for this fight since he recovered the ruined Darth Vader and put him in the suit. He's been like, right, I've got a better deal, you, because you suck. Mm. But, yeah, no, so he's finally, you know, at the point where uh, he wants Luke badly. He never lets on so much, but he, he, he sees in Luke this incredible potential to have Vader, but a perfect Vader, and not a non-warped and twisted and mechanically altered and, 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 and handicapped Vader, effectively. He's, he sees the Anakin that he was pursuing for ten years. Yeah, yeah. But, but pure and less rash and more controlled than Anakin as well. He, he actually respects Luke's uh, ability to, to withstand him, for, whereas Anakin's just like, alright, straight away in episode three. Um, to, 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 to the degree that the Emperor can respect, he respects Luke, and he, he kind of likes him. So when Luke goes, nah, you haven't won, he's, he's pissed off. Right. He's like, so, so be it, Jedi. And, and he's like, right, now I'm going to show you who the boss is. You don't fuck with Daddy. Hang on. They That's shot, how you kill they shot the shield generators at the Star Destroyer, right? Yeah. Weren't the shield generators shielded? Um, <laughs> that is a so good point. Where did they keep the shield generators? Shield generators. Yeah. And were they shielded? 
they're near you, the shield generators. If you punch generator, through the shield shields around the shield generators to destroy the shields, to destroy the shields of the shield, uh, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> 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 and no one decides to stop Luke. That's a point, actually. None of these troopers go, hang on a minute, that's Darth Vader and he appears to be dead or dying. No one's loyal to him in it's the end. It's still fear. It's still fear, maybe. I'm not getting involved. Well, that's the thing. Out of fear, not loyalty. Vader has spent his entire life as a Sith trying to frighten absolutely everybody. And he succeeded. And so nobody is loyal to him at this point. He's a very lonely man. But what was the thought process with this with Luke? Like he, was, he got out of the shuttle. His father's there. He thinks to himself, shall I bury him? No. I gotta burn this guy. I was gonna say, reasonable defense would be he, the body would be a very strong source of dark side energy because it is in the legend universe, isn't it? Because I think it mentions one book where he burns the body, nothing ever grows again. True. Oh. And also, there's and, a spot up in orbit there that uh, that Leia accidentally passed through one time. The essentially the spot in space where Palpatine died. Nice. And it messed her up for a little while. That's cool. Anakin was nearly consumed by fire. Luke finishes the job. Ooh. Nice. Thank you, folks. I'm here all week. <laughs> well, I love the ending of Return of the Jedi. In fact, um... Far from crying over the Ewok, this time, probably for the first time, when Luke burns Vader's body, just room got a little dusty. It's it's a great moment. And um, it didn't really feel like an end to me until many years later when I, I thought there's never going to be another Star Wars film. What and so, well, no, I didn't hope. I wanted there to be good. I wanted episode one to be good. I, I believed for a while that it was. That is the big difference between episode six and episode three at the end of episode six that left you wanting more at the end of episode three he never wants to go back you're just done with it i always found the jedi was um a, not a disappointment i said a disappointment that's probably a little bit too harsh but it wasn't as good as an ending to the trilogy as i had hoped for mm. it was a great ending it was a great trilogy and i thought you know what these films are brilliant i love them they're fantastic Jedi just happens to not be as good as Empire. They kind of peaked in the middle. It's a shame it didn't build up. Then the prequels came out, and and I originally I loved the prequels. I, I did. I I enjoyed them. I, you know, um, I went to see Star Wars: The Phantom Menace at Leicester Square Odeon when I was twelve, thirteen, and the the feeling you get at seeing Star Wars in the cinema, like on a screen that big, when the the logo goes back in the opening crawl. That was still amazing. Even for Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones, that was still amazing. But the overall content of the film just left me wanting. Listening to Gonzo Gaming and the prequel episodes you guys did, it made me realise how, truly how flawed those films are. Mm. And I listened, and I, 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 I'm now going to spend the rest of my life craving the, the prequels that you envisaged of, you know, Darth Vader arriving at the end of the second or early third film and hunting down the Jedi and, and we're never going to get that you're only going to get that through fan fiction or your own imagination and as you quite accurately pointed out you just can't rewrite the prequels it's impossible to do they're too ingrained like a tick yeah. now they're accepted as canon 
I, I really love The End of Jedi. It's, it's a warm, comfortable movie for me. And uh, while it does have its flaws and it's not as technically good as Empire, to me it feels like the perfect companion piece to the other two. And uh, I, I can't personally envisage, aside from maybe get, getting hands off better and, and having it set with the Wookiees, I wouldn't have changed too much about this film. And there's still... The, the final shot still provokes this kind of warm feeling inside. When you look at it, like, yeah, they're all gathered round. Mm. Lando, Han, Chewie, Luke, Leia, the droids, Wedge, and they're all gathered round as good mates, and they're just laughing, they're happy. And it almost looks like one of those group photos, and mm. um, one of those class of 88 photos. And you look at them, and it, it, it is almost looking back on like the kind of high school photo in the yearbook, and think... You know what, we had such great time together with these people. I'm really glad I did this. And yep. then it fades up. That is all from the Star Wars saga for now. And that is all from us this week. Gonzo will return next week. We have another series of movies to talk about. For a little taste of what you can expect, stick around for the last few seconds of this podcast. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. I've been James Batchelor. And I have been Lefty Brown. And may the force be with you.